Hi, and welcome to On and Off, our podcast covering the on-premise and off-premise beverage alcohol industry. I'm Melissa Dowling, editor of Cheers. And I'm Kyle Swartz, editor of Beverage Dynamics Magazine. In today's podcast that we totally spent a long time preparing for, uh, we are going to be talking about some of our recent media travels and conferences and uh, trips that we've attended, some of the trends that we've observed while out on the road these last couple of months. A lot of these are going to be whiskey-based. Uh, Melissa and I were both on whiskey press trips recently, and I also myself attended the 2023 NABCA annual conference last week in Orlando. NABCA is the organization uh, that oversees all of the control states, the states where the government regulates the liquor industry. Uh, and so there were a lot of trends present there as well that are indicative of some nationwide trends. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, Melissa, you just got back from Jack Daniels. Yeah, I was going to make you guess where I was, but <laughs> <laughs> there goes that. <laughs> That's ruined. Surprise ruined. Apologies, <laughs> listeners. Well, I guess as soon as I say Lynchburg, Tennessee, you would probably know. <laughs> but yeah, I just got back from from Lynchburg. I've never actually been to Louisville, Kentucky. I've been <clears> to <throat> Lexington and Loretta. Guess where I was in Loretta, Kyle? In Loretta. Oh boy, you're putting me on the spot here and I'm I'm drawing a blank. Where where were you in Loretta? <laughs> Maker's Mark. Oh, duh, of course, of course. Oh, I love call Maker's Mark. yourself a whiskey person. <laughs> Shout and... out to all my Maker's Mark friends. <laughs> um, anyway, that was some years ago, but but you know, I really have not done a ton of of whiskey travel, unlike Kyle. Mm. But I I have been to three distilleries in Nashville: George Dickel, Nelson's Greenbrier, um, which is right downtown, I believe, mm. and. I did. I've never been to All Smoky, but we they have a, a thing in downtown Nashville with Yeehaw Brewing where they do some tours and tastings. Hmm. So yeah, and Jack Daniels is actually a big one, um, huge employer in the area. And Lynchburg is really really tiny, but I just you know I I didn't you know I've been to a couple of places like you kind of forget what you know about Tennessee whiskey or what the difference is, because it's essentially bourbon, right? Mm -hmm. Except for the, the charcoal filtering. Correct. Um, but to see the process, you know, at Jack Daniels was so amazing. They drip the whiskey through 10 feet of sugar maple charcoal, mm -hmm. which you think about 10 feet, that's a lot of charcoal and a lot of wood goes into making that. And uh, just, just to see them, you know, burning the wood to make the charcoal and then to see all that charcoal and to see it drip, 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 you know, just to make this whiskey. And it's like, what, you know, I was kind of struck by what does it do? I mean, you, you figure it makes it more pure or whatever, but, um, it, it really, what I learned is that it, it rem actually removes some of the, the corn notes and the, mm. and the grainy notes that, mm -hmm. and some of the acids. So it really lets, some of the other flavors shine like like the fruity notes which mm. I, I never really thought about certain whiskeys that have much fruit in them but the, you know there really is quite a bit of pear and apple that that comes through and i guess the the charcoal filter really lets that shine so um kind of being able to see that there and and refresh what i knew was really one of my big takeaways yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when I think of Tennessee whiskey, I think what, what the, does the process do? It's exactly as you said, it just makes it smoother. I think on a whole, uh, Tennessee whiskeys tend to be smoother than their uh, bourbon counterparts. And like you said, yes, of course, Tennessee whiskey is just bourbon with a different name. And 
uh, one more step in the process. Is it just a marketing thing? I don't know. I mean, it does taste different. Jack Daniels sells very well for a reason. George Dickel sells very well for a reason. Um, and, and, you know, when I think of Jack Daniels these days, what really blows me away uh, about Jack Daniels is the level of premiumization that they've achieved. Jack Daniels had been on that premiumization trajectory in recent years, uh, you know, with like starting with like Gentleman Jack, and they started to creep up a little bit on uh, some of the uh, the tiers on the shelves there. Uh, but then all of a sudden, in like the last three or four years, they put out some really incredible top shelf stuff. I'm blanking on the name of their annual release, but whatever they call it, it has been phenomenal the last two years, uh, starting with the Koi Hill mega hot, like 140 proof single barrel release that just took the whiskey uh, industry by storm and has really become one of the most sought after bottles on the market. And then they followed it up with this incredible American single malt release that again, just it took people out of nowhere. No one was expecting JD to come out with American single malt nationally distributed at that high level of quality. It was just in a, a second incredible release back to back. And it just seems like Jack Daniels has figured out premiumization and top shelf bottles really, really well in the last couple of years. Um, so I'm, I'm very, very impressed with that there, as are a lot of uh, fellow whiskey nerds. Uh, Melissa, you were saying uh, to me before uh, we started recording that you were there on a women in whiskey trip. Yes. No men allowed. <laughs> I did try to put on a wig and sneak onto this trip, but they, they figured they, they me saw out. right through you. <laughs> um, yeah. So all the, it was, um, it's a pretty small group, maybe like five of us, but all, all the, the writers were women and the, the tour and tasting was led by the assistant distiller there, Lexi Phillips. And we spent some time with the microbiologist, Janessa, who was talking all about the yeast and, you know, how the sour mash lowering the pH and you know, it was giving me flashbacks to chemistry class. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we met with the brand marketing, uh, the women who work in those departments, the quality control lab and the production team. One, uh, two of the women on the production team uh, Debbie Staples and Jackie Hardin are sisters, and they're also hmm. the great-great-granddaughters of Nathan Nearest Green, who was the former slave and a master distiller who taught Jack Daniel how to make whiskey. And, um, you know, we know about him now, thanks to Uncle Nearest Whiskey and, you know, the work that Jack Daniels has done in recent years to, you know, to tell that story. But Debbie had actually just retired after some 40 years working at Jack Daniels in production. Mm -hmm. And she got very emotional in telling this story mm -hmm. because, you know, she said everybody, you know, it was passed down through their family, what their great, great grandfather had done. And, and everybody in Lynchville knew about Uncle Nearest, Nearest Green. But, you know, when you're in the distillery, if you mention it, you know, People are like, oh, yeah, sure, sure, that's what happened. But she said, you know, now we can talk about it and, and people believe us. So it, it was really very moving. Yeah, that's a tremendous thing. And that brand, Uncle Nearest, has done such a wonderful job of celebrating such an instrumental individual in the industry and helping shed life on, uh, you know, people of color and their enormous impact they've had on the alcohol industry. Um, speaking of uh, recognizing impact in women in whiskey, I did want to, you know, you made me think of a news item we just put up this past week is that uh, Bourbon Women, which is a phenomenal organization, is launching, I'm, I apologize if I get this wrong, but I believe it's their Women in Whiskey Awards and are accepting nominations now. So you know, listeners, and I, I certainly plan on doing so myself, 
If you want to nominate some of the incredible women who helped make the whiskey industry run and have helped grow it through so many generations, though I, I believe the awards are only recognizing, uh, obviously, people in current time. But make sure you nominate some people, uh, Bourbon Women, Women in Whiskey Awards, phenomenal program being put on by a phenomenal organization. Certainly, we here at uh, Beverage Dynamics and Cheers recognize all the uh, incredible contributions that women make in whiskey and the entire alcohol industry. I was My recent whiskey trip was the Bourbon Classic, and I may have talked about it already on the podcast, so I apologize if I'm going back on ground I've already covered. Uh, but this was back in uh, earlier in the year. Bourbon Classic is a really, really great festival, multi-day festival in Louisville um, and a little bit in Bardstown, too, I believe, uh, that uh, really helps celebrate uh, the whiskey industry in and around Louisville and Bardstown. And on the media trip, we're taken to all of the uh, major distilleries in the area and some of the smaller ones in Louisville as well. Uh, a couple of things I've noticed or I noticed there, and I'm sure you noticed in JD as well, is just how much the whiskey industry is ramping up production right now. Obviously, uh, a big factor in whiskey right now is that it's so difficult to find some of the rarer bottles or even, you know, even just common bottles from some of the more popular distilleries, um, which has created an enormous uh, demand versus supply issue that leads to an enormous secondary market on the whiskey uh, <laughs> whiskey, whiskey industry. Uh, so you have these distilleries like Buffalo Trace, Woodford Reserve. And a number of others that have literally doubled production. They're literally in the process of doubling production. What was already obviously an enormous production facility, you now multiply that by two. Um, and that's that's where we see the industry going. The question is, of course, will whiskey demand still be there to meet that increased production? Whiskey cannot be released overnight, of course, has to age in barrels. So, you know, it does make me wonder, where are we on this whiskey trend, whiskey golden age that we're in right now? Will the increased production make it in time where there's still such demand? I, I kind of think so. I know if you had any takeaways on this subject uh, from your trip, Melissa. Not really, just that everyone is, as you said, ramping up to try to meet this demand. There are just so many different kinds now, like mm. you were talking about the American single mall, which is, you know, exploding all the bottled and bonds, different finishes or, you know, there, there's just so many different things to try that I don't know where or if it ends or if it slows. I, I just think, you know, from my standpoint on premise, there are so many classic and craft cocktails that use whiskey. I think it will be all right for a while, but it's kind of like, what's that next big thing, which we already know is tequila. You know, they're both big things right now, but the same thing is is kind of going on there too with it, the demand so high and, you know, the penis <laughs> have to mature and then they have to make it. So it's the same thing is going on where they're just going crazy making it. And with what's going to happen after that? you know, that period of, of waiting for it. Yeah. And I, I do want to touch on tequila as well in a little bit, because that was one of the big trends I noticed when I was at the NABCA conference I had mentioned earlier in Orlando, which is tequila, tequila, tequila. I've never seen so many tequila brands at that expo. Uh, but first I want to touch on some other whiskey stuff before we depart from this topic. Another thing with all of the ramping up in production, all of the new brands coming out and new products coming out, uh, like you just said, Melissa, is that there is, much like everywhere in America, a major staffing issue right now in whiskey. It's not really being talked about. Obviously, the brands that want to come out and say, hey, guys, guess what? We don't have enough people here to work uh, our distillery, but that just kind of is what it is. So what we're seeing is we're seeing distilleries poach each other's distillers. This is becoming more common. 
good distillers are in demand and they're getting grabbed back and forth. Same thing with master blenders and master tasters. This is why you see a lot of the like well-known blenders and well-known master tasters uh, kind of switch jobs in the last year. There's been a big, big movement of employees going from brand to brand or starting their own brands. A lot of movement there. Um, but it even goes down to very basic level stuff. For instance, uh, I know Peerless when I was at Bourbon Classic, Peerless, which is a wonderful newer brand, they don't have enough staff to rotate their barrels in their warehouses. They just don't. That's what they said. They just don't have enough staff. They just aren't, they don't have enough people to send into the one, I think maybe one and a half warehouses they have to rotate barrels. And this is, you know, pretty fundamental stuff. And it's not like they're rotating 50 rickhouses worth of barrels, they're rotating one rickhouse worth of barrels. And they're just, there isn't a lot of staff right now, or there there is a lot of staff. There just isn't enough staff in the whiskey industry right now. A lot of that obviously has to do with the general staffing shortage that's affecting literally every single industry in the country right now. But a lot of it also has to do with, and I asked some people about this, just it's it's tough to find good staff in whiskey because like, what's the entry level position to get involved in the whiskey industry? Like they're really, you, you have to start almost as like a bartender or you work the gift shop or you're giving tours and there's just not, there, there's not a ton of those jobs out there. And people who work those jobs aren't always necessarily looking to move up in that way. So it's, it's a weird thing where there's, the, the entry level positions for whiskey haven't really been figured out yet. And I think that's going to be an important thing if this industry continues to grow, which I think it will continue to grow. Uh, and just one one more quick thought on that. Uh, do, wh where do I see this industry going forward? You know, I, you know, Speaking of great women in the whiskey industry, Maggie Kimbrell, editor of American Whiskey Magazine, phenomenal, phenomenal female whiskey writer, who I may or may not be planning on nominating for Women in Whiskey Awards, wrote a great... <laughs> great blog post recently about how those of us who work in the industry can sometimes kind of lose track of our insider knowledge versus the mainstream knowledge, um, which is to say we can get a little lost in the weeds or maybe lost in the sauce, I think is maybe the idiom I'm searching for, where we can kind of lose track of what's really going on out there because we're so hyper-focused on insider information, which is to say it's easy, you know, Melissa, for you and I to say like, I don't know how much more demand can there really be for whiskey? I've had every whiskey product on the planet. I don't really feel like I need to go out and taste 500 more. I guess I, I guess I do feel like that, but <laughs> yeah, you, know you do. <laughs> that's true. But you know what I'm saying? Whereas, you know, you talk with people who are not in the industry and you hear, you know, I, you get asked questions like what's the difference between bourbon and whiskey? Or I can't tell you how many times I've heard the brand Michters mispronounced. Everybody says Michters to me, Michters, Michters, Michters. I hear it all the time. And Michters is one of the best whiskey brands out there. So it's, there's still so much more consumer knowledge left out there to be learned. And there's so much more passion, I think, to be built in the whiskey industry. I think just because those of us in the industry have reached these, I don't know, I don't, I don't want to call it high levels. I don't want to get too complimentary myself here, but we're, we're certainly in the weeds with it. And I think we can kind of lose track of the fact that most people, you know, they're still they're still learning a lot and there's still a lot left to learn. And for that reason, I think there is still a uh, long uh, road ahead for uh, our current whiskey boom. Yeah, I think I'm not as focused on whiskey as you are. Some of it's just you, you know? <laughs> and it's what you like. But I think also covering the on-premise, which is so much about cocktails and, and there's so many different spirits and modifiers and so on, and not to mention the wine and beer I just, I find my knowledge kind of spread pretty thin. So even the opportunities I have to go to things like this um, Jack Daniels tour, 
I, I felt very much like a consumer in a lot of ways. There's some things I totally knew and some things I had no idea or had just forgotten. You know, it'd been some years since I'd been to the other distilleries. So uh, I, I think that's true. And, and people want to know how things are made. They want to mm. know that things are authentic. And, uh, you know, it, it's 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 hard to say, but the, the most important is, you know, your, your brand, your integrity, and also the quality control. I mean, that's yeah. one thing that was pretty amazing. I, I mean, certainly a company of Jack Daniel's size, but uh, the quality control and you go in the lab and they are looking, it's all this crazy equipment and they're looking, you know, tasting different things and every, it's all labeled this and that. It's just, you know, they take it very seriously as you should, but you know, that helps everybody because you had a, a bad bottle of Tennessee whiskey that, you know, that might taint yeah. it for you for all the other brands and, and same same with any kind of product you know whether it's the an american single malt or a bottled in bond or something like that you know you really you have to keep the, the quality up and when you're rushing production and trying to meet this this wave that can be I'm sure it's very tempting to cut corners yeah very good point very good point and just one more note on Jack Daniels before we move on to tequila. I was I, I'm remiss in bringing up some of their incredible premium bottles recently. This year's Jack Daniels 10 year release and Jack Daniels 12 year release were both just phenomenal, phenomenal bottles that really showcased, as Melissa was saying, the wonderful fruit notes that come out in a Jack Daniels and a roundness and richness to these whiskeys. Uh, both, again, have become very, very popular in the secondary market, hotly, hotly sought after items and for good reason they're just world-class spirits being put out by jack daniels right now at a very high level very impressive uh so to talk tequila and this was another big trend when i was at the napca conference in orlando and you know again napca control states obviously all of the major vendors and up-and-coming brands want to be where the control state officials are because the control state officials exercise such enormous buying power when it comes to choosing what products are supplied to an entire state's worth of people so as you might imagine, the expo halls at these uh, events, these control state events are packed. Uh, and there's, I don't know, 100, 150 brands there. It's a ton of brands, ton of product. And the big takeaway for me this year on the multiple levels of exhibitor halls that they had was just tequila, tequila, tequila. There was so much tequila at the NAPCA annual conference this year. And it, you know, the crazy thing is it all tasted good. I must have tried <laughs> 40 different tequila brands and it all tasted good. Including, um, and I didn't, I didn't tell you this one yet, Melissa. I, tr I finally tried the Rocks tequila. Oh, I finally tried it. Kind what is it called again? Terramana, I think. Yeah, I could yeah, be yeah. Getting yeah. it wrong. Um, yeah, no, perhaps, perhaps a bit pushy PR people. This is why Melissa and I are laughing because <laughs> uh, boy, do we get a lot of emails from them and a lot. I of guess they do their job. We <laughs> know the name, and uh, you're they, looking forward to. They, I guess they don't send bottles because we, <laughs> we hadn't tried. It. They certainly earn their money, but I, the product tasted great. The product tasted great. I tried it; it tasted great. I tried. Um, I, I'm just going to show you. I'm not a Kardashian viewer, but which which of the Kardashians launched the tequila brand? Uh, Kendall, I think. Kendall. By the way, tastes great. Kendall Kardashian, whichever Kardashian, whoever launched that tequila brand, tasted great. I tried LeBron's tequila again. Tasted great. I tried his new uh, Mezcal. Tasted great. All of these celebrities putting out tequila brands, they all taste great. And I tried tequila brands not launched by celebrities, and they all tasted great. I just There's so much good tequila on the market right now. But you made a wonderful point earlier, Melissa. Like, is this sustainable? Like, we know that there's an agave shortage. We know it's happening right now. 
I always bring up when I spoke to um, uh, the gentleman who owns Moreno's uh, Liquors. I'm sorry, I'm blanking on his first name. This Mike again, Moreno. Thank you. You think I would know that? Uh, we we prepared very heavily for this podcast. <laughs> you can tell there's a lot of prep. I'm not even in the off premise and I know his name (laughs) Forgetting things left and right during this podcast. We threw together after coming back from the long break. He, he says it's a cyclical thing and that the tequila shortage right now will be corrected naturally over time. I mean, I'm going to assume he's right. He certainly has forgotten more about tequila than I'll ever know. So I tend to trust him, but it, it, it does bring up a good point of, you know, is this sustainable and how many tequilas is too much tequila? Who is drinking all this tequila? I don't know if you had any thoughts on that, Melissa, the uh, te- the tequila boom we're living through right now. I just, the sustainability is, is such a concern because of the amount of time it takes for the agave to mature. I forget what it is, like, let's see, seven years or something? It's a long time. Yeah, and that's like the minimum. Like, you can get higher-end agaves that take 13, 14 years. Yeah, so, so that's a long time, and then you've got to produce it and and bottle it and bottle it and everything. So, you know, in some ways I think it's here to stay because as you noted, there's, there is so much good tequila. If if you're making a really bad tequila, you're probably not going to make it, (laughs) you know, it's, there's, there's no reason to, to drink that. So in the cocktails, you know, the margarita is, is just always number one in the on-premise and, and even at home, that's what people want to make to celebrate things like the Paloma, you know, with grapefruit soda and lime. So, so easy. So refreshing. That's been catching on here. Ranch water, which is just yeah. <laughs> sparkling mineral, mineral water and lime. People are going crazy for that on-premise. It's like, you can make that at home, you know, it's, yeah. but and those are just a few of the super easy cocktails. There are so many other really interesting ones. So, you know, I think it's it's really just a, a sustainability issue for the for the actual plants. But and we didn't even talk about mezcal or any of that. You yeah. know, I think we're due for a tequila podcast anyway. We'll do another one soon, I'm sure. Yeah, because we were sp- we had to reschedule one that that that's uh, right. I'm just realizing we didn't. So that's we'll we'll get into mezcal and maybe some of the other spirits of Mexico that we yeah. uh, touched on in our supplement. But you know, those some people are the interest in tequila, then mezcal. It's like you know, bacanora. Well, there's a whole bunch anyway that that are getting a lot of attention now too. So. Yeah, we'll we'll have to delve into those a little bit more next time. But we could obviously talk about whiskey and trends and things all day. But we will stop now. <laughs> <laughs> and we we thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this kind of off the cuff rambling uh, recollection podcast from our recent travels. And uh, until our next podcast, and we promise perhaps we will put a little bit of prep work in and uh, have a uh, a guest speaker and maybe not be reaching for names the whole time. But until <laughs> then, yeah, cheers. Cheers. If you enjoyed the On and Off podcast, please hit the subscribe button. Also, you can find more great content at cheersonline.com and beveragedynamics.com, including recipes, product reviews, and interviews with the movers and shakers of the beverage alcohol industry. You can also sign up for our free weekly e-newsletter for both publications on our websites. Cheers. Cheers.